this press conference off this morning by uh, tipping our hat to uh, all the parents of young children in church this morning. You guys did an excellent job of uh, executing the game plan. Um, as far as my wife and I are concerned, well, um, we've got a lot to reevaluate. Um, we've got to reevaluate the processes that, that we have in place, and because uh, it was a pretty disappointing uh, service for us in church today. Um, we're definitely going to have to go back to the live stream and see exactly where all the breakdowns and communications occurred this morning. So uh, I think with that, we'll open the floor to questions. Uh, yes. Hi, Carol here from Chico Park. I'm curious, was it your intent to be seven minutes late for service today? And do you think that maybe played a role in how things turned out today? Oh, it, it definitely played a role, Carol. And um, no, that was not our intent. Uh, yes. Terry here from the bulletin. We noticed earlier that you went outside with a crying, screaming child. And then a mere three minutes later, y'all come back in. And before you even got back to your seat, she was crying again. I'm just curious. What made y'all think out in the waiting room that she wouldn't throw another fit before you got back in here? Well, um, Terry, when I took her out into the lobby, I, uh, I asked her if she was going to behave, and uh, she nodded. And you believed her? Listen, Terry, um, that, that was the whole turning point in church for us this morning. Um, I knew when I took her out for the uh, second time that uh, I wasn't going to make it back in until at least the uh, closing song and prayer. Uh, yes, Carol? Any update on your seven-year-old's injury? Possible chance trips to the ER or urgent care? Um... If you're referring to when our four-year-old smashed his finger with a chair, uh, luckily it didn't look too serious. And if a doctor is just going to put a splint on it, well, I can do that at home. Uh, yes, uh, I'm Bill from the back row of Believers. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. Uh, so I was just curious this morning. You both were outside of the sanctuary during the service at one point. And did you not know that your three oldest were in here by themselves? Yes, we did. Okay, well, a quick follow-up to that. With the current situation and considering how everything went, uh, did you by any chance threaten them? Yes. What did you threaten them with? Uh, we like to keep that between us. Uh, we keep our threats in-house, actually. <laughs> Molly from the church choir. Yeah, go ahead, Molly. Uh, before you actually sent your child, child out the first time, she stood right there in the center aisle staring at you, kind of mocking you, and every time you would ask her to come back to the pew, she just kept backing up. I was wondering, did uh, you know that your actions were having an adverse effect? Um, you know, at the time, Molly, I did not. Um, I just thought she was ignoring me. <laughs> yes. But then she turned and bolted straight down that aisle. You, um, you, you look surprised there, Mom. Why would you be surprised? Um, listen, Molly, that's where we're just going to have to go back to the live stream and see exactly when the moment was where the communication broke down. Well, just one last question then. Were you able to pick up all of the Cheerios all over the church that your children left? Um, just one clarification. It was Lucky Charms. They managed to get the marshmallows wolfed down before we made it to church this morning. But yes, I do think they did a pretty good job at cleaning them up. Our four-year-old managed to do it without even using her hands. Uh, real quick. Uh, yes, real quick again. Um, did your kids, or your youngins, did they not know that today was Donut Sunday? And is there a possibility that they may have forecasted ahead to prepare for that? We can't keep using that as an excuse, Bill. Whether it's Donut Sunday, gum, TV, we cannot keep botching these routine threats as parents. That's on us. Yeah, that's totally on us, Bill. But, but again, today is Donut Sunday. Is that where your, your scamps are right now? Uh, we certainly hope so, Bill. We haven't talked much about your 10-year-old. Was it necessary for him to really go to the bathroom twice? 
Absolutely not. Does it surprise you at all that when he come back in, he had his shirt on backwards? Not at all. He was wearing pants, though, right? Yeah. Yeah, he was. Okay, because I really thought that's where this was going. Oh, one more question. At one point, I think I heard maybe demonic voices coming out of your smallest child. Do you think that the anointing oil maybe burned her skin? Um, not that I'm aware of, Molly. Um, oh, she did have a slight carpet burn where I yanked her out from underneath the pew in front of us. Yes. Yeah, Audrey, Audrey, you put that back. You uh, no more right. questions, no more questions. Hey, Sean. Guess what I'm preaching on today? <laughs> Won't you turn with me this morning to Proverbs chapter 22? be preaching this morning on parenting by design, parenting by design. We have been in this series now for about six weeks. We've been talking about family matters, be, uh, God's blueprint for building a godly home. One of the things that I want you to understand is the reason I tackled this type of series is because I'm really concerned with all of the uh, peripheral voices that are out there that are speaking about the family today. Um, and it's very concerning. We've got to wade through. One of the things I've said throughout this entire series is we have to wade through all of the rhetoric out there, rhetoric, and actually get down to what thus saith the Lord. Our children need to know. And if the church doesn't weigh in on these type matters, then who will? Uh, so it's very important. And, and again, I want to, uh, again, encourage you uh, as we leave today to congratulate, congratulate our graduates again for a job well done and on their new adventures, they change one chapter and go to another. Let's get right into our word this morning. Proverbs chapter 22, very, very familiar verse of scripture. Uh, just one passage reads like this. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. And read that again. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. Now, again, we've covered a lot of ground in this series over the last six weeks. And, and one of the things I want to encourage you to do, all of these sermons are on our social media and they're on our website. And I want to encourage you to periodically go back to these sermons and review the messages. Because, listen, every single day the world is preaching a message to us. And in order to combat that, we need to learn truth. We need to be grounded in God's truth. And so these are up there uh, for you to be able to go back and review anytime that you want to. We've talked about, again, we, we've covered a lot of ground during this series. Like I've said throughout this entire series, there, there's a lot of noise right now regarding the family. We've got the world that's tried to redefine the family and tell us uh, how this modern family is supposed to work. So, again, we've got a lot of noise. And as Christians, we have to tune out all of the messages that conflict with God's Word. Amen? Let me say that again. There's a lot of noise that's happening in the periphery right now regarding the family and many other things, obviously. But we as Christians must tune out the voices of the world, uh, anything that conflicts with God's Word. See, the battle for our family is first and foremost a spiritual battle. We, we, have, to, we have to approach it as thus. It is a spiritual battle. There's a spiritual war going on for our family, for our children and our children's children and to their children. And we have to recognize that. God, uh, and, and the battle boils down to this. It is God's plan versus man's plan. You see, remember the very first message I preached, well, you got to understand that the family was not the initiative of man. It is the initiative of God. It was God who created the leave and cleave model of the family, and he told Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply. So if we're going to build a stable, strong family, we have to build on a stable, strong foundation. If the foundation, listen, that's why so many builders, uh, if, if you have a good builder, they will invest a lot in the foundation. 
They will make sure that everything is the way it's supposed to be, that the concrete is the right mix, that the rebar is placed the way it's supposed to be in the proper grid, and all of those things, whether it's pre-stressed or, or whatever. They, they, they go into great lengths to make sure that the foundation is solid so that the building structure will be solid. We need to do the same thing. You know, as we have gone through this series, we've looked at family life in general. We've uncovered God's design for the husband and wife. We talked about that specifically. Uh, the husband's role, the wife's role. Uh, and, and, and remember, a family's success, and this is important. If you don't get anything else I say, I want you to hear this. A family's success is correlated to each member's relationship with God. It hinges on that relationship with God. Husband, this way. Wife, this way. Children, this way. If this is right, this can be right. If this is not right, this won't be right. So everything hinges. A biblical family begins and hinges with our relationship with God. Another thing we talked about in this series is that men and women are what? They're equal. I mean, remember me saying that? Two of you do. Let me say it again. Men and women are equal in God's eyes. They just differ in function and in roles. See, see, please understand, contrary to modern sensitivities, and this is where the rub is with modernists today, they say that Christians, that, that if you were to build your family based upon Christian uh, values or principles, that it's demeaning uh, to women. It is not. It is not. Please understand it. That is their rub. Uh, when it comes to the modern family, they say that if you try to mimic or model yourself after biblical principles, that it is demeaning and, and oppressive to women. Quite the contrary. It is quite liberating, as I said last week, that the gospel of Jesus Christ has done more for women than any other, and Jesus has done more for women than any other history, any other person in history uh, for women. So don't buy into this nonsense. Uh, you know, I have that theological term, you know, the B-O-L-O-G-N-A, uh, that we need to talk about in today's world. You know, this morning we're going to look at parenting. Uh, how many parents do I have here today? Okay, just making sure. We're parents. We never stop being parents. I'm a grand, I'm a pawpaw. I look at my granddaughter over there. I love that little girl right there. So, uh, but I'm still a parent, right? I'm still a parent. So, so we're going to look at parenting today. And, and uh, you know, there's one thing I think every parent in the house would agree on. Parenting is not for the faint of heart. It is not for the faint of heart. Two children, two boys, young boys were sitting there discussing their parents. And the first little boy looked at his buddy and he said, you know, I'm really worried. I'm worried about my parents. He said, my dad slaves away at his job so that I can have everything that I need. So I'll be able to go to college someday. My mom works hard washing and ironing and cleaning up after me and taking care of me and running me here and there. And she takes care of me when I'm sick and and, uh, you know, they spend every day of their lives working for me, and I'm really worried. The other boy looked at him and said, man, what do you have to be worried about? The little guy says, well, I'm afraid they're going to try to escape someday. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've ever raised children, you understand exactly what he was talking about. Listen, this morning's message is built on this, on this one statement. A few weeks back, I quoted Dr. James Dobson, who said this, and I quote, the single most important aspect of parenting today is the salvation of your children, end quote. The single most important aspect of parenting today is the salvation of your children. Nothing else, the college they go to, the sport they play, the dating scene, the, the cell phone they have, the car, they, none of that in the grand scheme of things mounts to a hill of beans. It's that their salvation is secure. You know, God desires, why did, go back to the very beginning, why did God initiate this leave and cleave model of the family? It's because God desires godly offspring. Remember, Malachi chapter 2 tells us that God wanted godly offspring and image bearers that would go out into all the world. Remember, the Great Commission tells us in Matthew 28 that we're to go into all the world and do what? And preach the gospel and make disciples. How does God accomplish that? Well, missionaries are one of those, but where do missionaries come from? Come from our children. We're to raise godly families, and those godly families have godly children, and those godly children are, learn, and they have salvation, and they hear the call, they hear a call of God, like, you know, you know, like ours that we had this morning graduate. Malachi headed off to school, Abby being a missionary, uh, Keelan doing uh, youth and, and, and ministry. I mean, those things are important. Miranda going off to Sagu, 
Again, that's how God does that. That's what the families are all about, perpetuating godliness from one generation to the other. Uh, you know, there's so, many, there's so many statistics today of children, and I think most of us here probably would have stories of, of kids that we saw in kids' church, and they went into youth group, and then they went off to college or went into the workforce, and they dropped out, and we never saw them again. I mean, the data is everywhere. We have children that we see grow up in the schools, or, excuse me, in church. They grow up in the faith, but yet when they become an adult, they walk away. Somewhere, the ball was dropped. Somewhere the ball was dropped, and it's easy to blame. Well, we just didn't have a very good youth pastor, or we didn't have a good kids pastor. We didn't have, no, somewhere the ball was dropped. It's not, listen, the church gets to minister to your children at best a couple of hours a week. And if that's what you're relying on to see your kids secure in their faith, then I'm sorry, that's not going to get it. It's not going to cut it. You need to be involved. When I was an inspector with the city of Irving, we had two methodologies in which we used to inspect, and one of them was called the, the proactive uh, model, and basically what proactive means is that you're head of the game. You go out and you aggressively get involved, you look for things, you look for situations that you try to prevent before they become a major issue, and then there's the reactive model, and that is you wait until something happens and then you respond to it. See, that's where we are today in our culture. A lot of parents are reactive. We take a hands-off approach to our children and we kind of wait around for something to happen and then when something happens, we want to jump in. Listen to me, if you wait around for something to happen big in your children's lives, you've already waited too late. Parents need to be involved. One of the criticisms my children had when I was growing up, I, I called it active parenting. They said I was overbearing. I said, no, I was active. Active parenting. I didn't want to leave it to chances. Because long before Dr. Dobson made that statement about the salvation of our children, I, I believed in my, in my family that I had, one I had one chance. I had 18 years to, 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 to help model and show my children a path to Christ and for them to fall in love with Jesus and live for him the rest of their lives. And I had one shot at it, and I did everything I could to see that happen. In Judges chapter 10, or excuse me, Judges chapter 2, listen to these words. Verse number 10 says, And also... All that generation were gathered unto their fathers, and there arose another generation after them, which knew not the Lord, nor yet the works which he had done for Israel. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of God, and served Balaam. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers, which brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods, of the gods of the people that were around about them, and bowed themselves unto them, and provoked the Lord to anger." Now, what is that telling us? I want you to understand, this is a powerful indictment on parenting right here. This is three generations, three generations after Joshua. This is three generations after Joshua stands up in front of a nation and says, you know, choose you this day. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Three generations later, you had Joshua, you had his son, you had his son. Three generations, the indictment comes that they knew not the Lord, neither the works that God had done. So how do we go from, from a grandfather being passionate about his faith to his grandson not even knowing of the Lord? Somewhere down the line, the ball was dropped. Something happened. Something happened within three generations. Grandfather, father, son. They go from serving God to having no knowledge of God. Something's wrong. And my, my, I submit to you this morning, how well does this describe America today? How well does it describe the American church today? How many have we seen abandon their faith and left, when they left home over the years? I want to, listen, I'm preaching this series because I want to see a move of God in our families. I want to see it if you're, if you're a parent here this morning or maybe you're a grandparent. Listen, I want to see revival in, 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 in our families this morning. I want, to see, I want to see God do something. I want to see him shake the families to the very core. I want to see a major move of God. I want to watch our young men see visions and our old men dream dreams. I want to see our sons and daughters prophesying as God pours out his spirit. That's my desire, to see God do something in this generation. You know, I've been here long enough now, somewhere about... 1998, maybe 1997, I think it was 98, it was an Easter service. We had taken, it was at the height of the Brownsville, Brownsville Revival, if you know anything about that, in Pensacola, Florida. Our youth group had gone down to Pensacola that week, and they came back on that Saturday, and our youth pastor at the time was Lance, 
Lance called me at home that Saturday night. He said, Pastor Mike, I need to let you know something happened to our students there in Brownsville. And I said, well, that's good. He said, no, you really need to understand something happened to them. They really were touched by God. You know, and I said, well, that's good. I'm, I'm glad. We, that's why we wanted them to go and experience that. And he said, no, I'm, I, you just need to be prepared. He said, I know Easter Sunday is normally a packed house and there's a lot of people and you just need to know that something happened to them. Well, that next morning, again, I just fully couldn't grasp what was going on. So that next morning, I won't ever forget it, two young ladies sitting right down front here, packed house, as we begin to worship, I watched the power of God fall upon those two young ladies. And they sat there and literally began to shake like spiritual Tourette syndrome as the power of God moved upon them. And I watched God touch those young ladies and rock their world. I'm saying that I want to see God. I'm not talking about fanaticism. Please don't read into that. I, we got another, uh, uh, enough knotheads in the world today. We don't need more of those. What I'm saying is that there was a genuine and sovereign move of God, and I've seen that periodically over my tenure here of almost 30 years. I want to see God touch a generation that the world has given up on. The world says, you know what, we can't tell you what a man is, we can't tell you what a woman is, we can't tell you, you know, this, and we can't tell you that. Listen, I want to stand up here and tell you there's a God in heaven who loves you and who wants to operate through your life to be a light that shines in a dark world in your campuses. That's what we need to hear. That's what we need to hear. Listen, I want to see, and, and, and again, you think about today, we, we have created, and, and again, I see nothing, that's my desire, but I see nothing right now that remotely indicates that being a possibility. Somebody says, what do you see as the problem with the American church? I'll tell you what I see as the problem with the American church, complacency in adults. Today we have a kind of a, such a casual attitude, and, and if you say anything about it, you know what, you know, here's, here's the comeback. If you say anything about the casualness in which most people live their faith, they say, well, don't judge. My response is, the Bible says, don't be ignorant either. <laughs> but that's another sermon. <laughs> Listen, if we're going to parent by design, we need to understand that parenting is a spiritual issue. Let me say that again. It is a spiritual issue. You, you have to understand that. Many parents today have no vision of what it means to be a parent. Uh, it's more than getting them to school on time. It's more than, than getting them to the soccer game or the baseball game or giving them their every wish. Psalm 127 says this, Behold, children are heritage of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. What does that mean? It means that God blesses us with our children. How many of you wonder about that sometimes? <laughs> Listen, I looked at my children as either a blessing or a lesson. And sometimes they're probably a little bit of both, right? <laughs> But here's the thing, they, God blesses us with our children and how we raise them as our, so, so basically God gifts us our children, he gifts them to us, and how we raise them is our gift to him. Think about that. God, again, the Bible says that children are a heritage of the Lord. They are blessings from the Lord that he gives to us as gifts. Our raising them to love him and to serve him is now our gift back to him. That's why we have our baby dedications that we have here. We dedicate our children back to the Lord. Again, their gift given to us, how we raise them, is now our gift back to God for blessing us with our children. God gives us these blessings. In our text it says, train a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not turn from it. Now, sounds simple enough, right? How many know that's a difficult task? So how do we do that? Real quick, let me give you a few things. Number one, train. Train. What does it mean to train? Well, you know what? It seems like instructions... Uh, Never end when you're parenting. I mean, right? I mean, it just seems like there's an awful lot of information that needs to be downloaded into their brains when they're small. I mean, things like manners. Uh, I was telling early service, I was, I was in Florida for a Bible conference this week, and I was flying back yesterday from Florida, and I was sitting on the plane, and there was a little girl, cute, cute, little, girl, cute little girl, beautiful little girl, about two years old, came walking down the center aisle of the airplane, and her parents were right behind her, and I'm watching her kind of sashay down through the aisle and you know everybody's turning their heads and making comments about how pretty she was and and every time somebody would say well that sure is a pretty dress you have on her mom would say now what do you say and that little girl and the two-year-old voice that she could thank you you know in a way it just kind of melts your heart and I thought there it is there it is there's a lot of information to get downloaded into our children again manners hygiene tying their shoes uh multiplication tables, driving cars, 
using computers, recognizing danger. I mean, there's all kinds of things. It seems like it's an endless list. And these responsibilities obviously fall to the parents. We have to take ownership. We have to take ownership of what is being downloaded into our, our children and, and, and make sure it's right and it's wholesome. These are very practical things that parents have to engage in. But listen, but it's not the only thing. It's not the only thing that we have to teach our children. I mean, if, listen, if we prepare our children for success in life, but we forget to prepare them for eternity, what have we gained? If we prepare our children, if we get them to all their soccer games and all their extracurricular activities and we get them all, to all of these things that are important, I'm not knocking those, we get them to all of these things and yet we don't pay attention to the salvation of our children. If we get them prepared for life but not eternity, we failed them. We have failed them. God said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he said, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. What is he talking about? He's simply saying, look, the reality is you cannot separate your daily life from a godly life. You can't do it. And our job is not try to, to, to help them compartmentalize their life so that they have their Sunday go to meet in life and they have their youth group night, uh, youth night meeting life. It, it's all intric intricately woven together. It's a tapestry that's woven that, 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 that paints a beautiful picture. Our job is to help teach them. We have to instruct our children in the ways of God everywhere and in everything we do. I always told my children about life lessons. Every opportunity is a learning moment. Well, Jesus wouldn't want us to do it like that. You know, they get mad. You want to say, well, Jesus wouldn't want us to do that. How would you want someone to, you understand, we just look for opportunity to teach them and show them the right. Listen, if, they're, if you're not going to do it, who will? That word in the Hebrew is pretty interesting. The word train up in Hebrew literally uses, it's, it's a word that's used to describe the, 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 the palate of the mouth, of the roof of the mouth. And what would happen is after the birth of a child, that, that uh, midwife would take a paste that was made of dates and some other things and she would put it on her finger and she would rub it on the roof of her mouth of that child. And what it did was it created a thirst for that child to start nursing. That's what it means to train up. So, so think about that in the context of what Deuteronomy is saying. He's saying, parents, train up your, uh, Proverbs says, train up your child. What does it mean? Create a thirst. Create a hunger in your child's heart for the things of God. He, again, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, again, he said, you shall love, the King, New King James says, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. So the first one is trained. Second one is this, set rules and establish boundaries. Again, this is very, very pragmatic this morning, very practical. While we're training, we should also be building fences. It's really, really sad to hear a, a, a parent of a two-year-old say, well, I just can't make him do anything. I can't get him to go to bed. He won't eat what I prepared. Really? He's two. He's two. Set those boundaries. Here's the way one writer put it, and I love what he said, and I quote, the child who grows up without encountering a firm rule to which his will and behavior must bend is a deprived child in the most elemental sense. He has a lazy and undisciplined parent, end quote. Whoo! Man, that's tough. But there's a point there. See, there's a principle that I've lived by all, really, since we had children, and that is this. Children thrive on order and routine. They thrive on order and routine. And as they grow, again, I understand things change and evolve, and you have to change and evolve with them. But your children start out small and set up a routine and set up a program, a routine and, and, and order. Again, here's the corollary to that, is that you cannot order the life of your child if your life is in disorder. Because they'll see through all of that hypocrisy. You know, my children, for instance, both they had, they had bedtimes when they were growing up. And uh, that was just part of it. I just understood children thrive. They need rest, proper rest for their brains to soak in what they're learning at school. And, and mom and dad need at least an hour break after they get into bed. No, that would, oh, that came out of my mouth. 
So we had regular bedtime. The funny thing is, you know, my daughter still would go to bed at that time if she was able to, but she has two young so that she can't, she can't do it. But uh, the funny thing about when she went off to college, she would still go to bed, and they made fun of her because she would want to be in bed by 10 o'clock at college. My son, who didn't need much sleep at that time, he was like, well, I'm not tired. I'm like, don't matter. I think it was 8.30. I'm like, you're going to bed at 8.30. So his sister would go to bed, and she would be out within five minutes. Dakota would go to bed, and he had bunk beds at the time. And I, he said, I'm not tired. And I said, I don't care, but you're going to be in bed at 8.30. Now, you might step in there at 9.30, and he might be swinging from underneath the bunk bed and doing <laughs> cartwheels and stuff like that. <laughs> but he was in bed. Because I felt like it was important that we establish some boundaries and some rules. But here's the thing. If you, will, if you will provide the appropriate boundaries for your children, as they mature, you start taking them down. You start giving them more responsibility. You give them more of an opportunity to prove their trustworthiness. And again, it is an evolving thing that always happens uh, over a period of time. Someday they're going to thank you. They're going to thank God for being a parent that understood the structures of life and the boundaries of life and helping them to mature within those boundaries. So again, the second thing you need to do is be willing to set rules and establish boundaries. Number three, live as a model. Live as a model. Paul taught the early Christians, he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Listen, your kids are going to follow somebody. There's, there, there are people out there that are vying for their attention and their emulation. They want to, they, they, they're, they're plenty, they're plentiful out there. I, I mean, again, Paul was writing, he was inviting them to inspect his life and then, and then imitate, imitate his pathway. He was blazing a, a path and said, now follow me as I follow Christ. That child needs a parent to say, follow me as I navigate through the difficult waters of life. And, and, and next Sunday is going to be the end of this series and it's going to be a tag team. And, and the way it's going to go is we're going to hear uh, what parents, what teens wish parents knew. And then we're going to flip it to what parents want teens to know and do a tag team there because, uh, uh, again, that, that parent, you need to set the trail and you need to say, come follow me as I follow Christ. Our kids need models. And there are thousands of models that are out there right now from which we can choose. Celebrities, musicians, athletes, politicians. They're all inviting your children, our children, to follow them and to imitate them. Even their peers at school are saying, follow us, be like us, do what we do, and be cool. Be in the cool crowds. It's happening every day, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Your children are being pressured to emulate someone. Why not you? See, this is where parents have a tremendous advantage. When your child is born, they, you become the apple of their eye. You become their hero. Take advantage of it and build yourself as their hero. Don't blow it. Again, that, that first few years is very, very precious. Establish yourself as his or her hero and gain their respect. Get your life in alignment with Christ and then walk it and watch your children come along with you. Listen, if you're not submitted to God, I'm just going to be honest with you. If you're fickle in your relationship with God, don't, you can't reali realistically expect your children to submit either. If you're on one minute and off one minute, up one minute, down one minute, your children are going to see the hypocrisy of that and they're going to believe that what you have is not worth having themselves. I told you all my, my story growing up, all my life I went to church. My parents made sure I was in church all my life. But it was good enough for them. It was their faith. And that's what I tried to live by until, until one day God helped me to see that I was trying to live somebody else's faith and I made it my faith. And that changed my life. Listen, your children will sense your rebellion. If you're not in alignment with someone, they'll sense your rebellion and they'll shut you down. Get right with God and then ask God to help you set that example. Third, uh, number four, discipline. I'm hurrying up. Discipline. Now, this is touchy. This is touchy because we don't like to talk about discipline. Today, we want to give a trophy for everyone that shows up. Discipline's tough. Here's what Proverbs says, 13. He who spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Now, be careful about reading between the lines. This in no way condones abuse of a child in any form or fashion. I told you last week, you want to abuse somebody, get in the ring with me and I'll go around with you. We can throw down until you're content. 
Well, wait till my back gets better, and then we can do it. <laughs> I've said this for years and years and years. If you discipline out of anger, that is abuse. Discipline is about correcting and getting back on the path. It's not about because they made you mad. See, this is where we are. Because our, so because we've not built our families upon a solid foundation in God's word, here's what happens. Our kids make us mad. We discipline them out of anger because they interrupted our flow of life. That's wrong. That's wrong. Discipline is about correcting a behavior and getting them back into alignment with the rules of the house. That's what it's about. But discipline is needed. And it's important. Uh, again, what it means is we need to establish a, a system whereby our training is backed up with appropriate authority and discipline. In other words, if I tell my children, this is a line and don't you cross it, and they willfully cross that line, then I need to back up what I've said with some discipline. Whatever you deem for that child, I know every child's different, you have to do it differently. You know? Uh, the NLT renders that verse like this. If you refuse to discipline your children, it proves that you don't love them. If you love your children, you will be prompt to discipline them. I love the way the writer of Hebrews picks up on this. He, he goes with this question. He's like, who ever heard of a child who is never disciplined? Can you imagine him trying to write that today? <laughs> it would be, who ever heard of a disciplined child today? No. Anyway, he says, who ever heard of a child who was never disciplined? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his children, it means that you are illegitimate and not really his child after all. Since we respect our earthly fathers who discipline us, should we not all the more cheerfully submit to the discipline of our heavenly father and live forever? And the answer is an obvious yes. Yes. Consistent, loving discipline is evidence of God's love for us and one of the ways that we show our kids that we love them. I know it doesn't make an ounce of sense. We have a, this hurts me more than it hurts you. You know what? When you're a kid and you hear that, you laugh. About, it's laughable, but when you become an adult, and I'm not, I'm not espousing spank. I, I, you discipline however you deem necessary. My parents, the bad thing about growing up in the era when I did, if I got in trouble, they disciplined me. All right, but the bad thing was I had to go get the only, I had to go get my switch. There was a peach tree that grew out the side of our house, and I had to go out and pick my switch. And you know what? I, and I better picked an appropriate one. Because I didn't want them to go out. My dad got a limb. <laughs> well, it seemed like that to a boy growing up. <laughs> you know? I didn't want to fudge on that. But, but listen, here's the thing. I respect my parents' discipline. I look back now and I think, you know, I was hard-headed. I was bull-headed. I pushed again. I did run away from home. But you know what? The discipline that they, they instilled in me when I was younger helped me in my stupid years from when I, when I left home at, as a junior in high school. It helped me to get back on track. Discipline is very, very important. Listen, we're born, listen, today we say things like, well, you know, if my kids do wrong, it's because they lack education or opportunity. Again, B-O-L-O-G-N-A. Not true. The Bible says we're born in what? Sin. And shaped in what? Iniquity. Our natural tendency is to do evil. I know we look at our children when they're young and innocent and we think how sweet and innocent. No, they're not. <laughs> they're, I'm telling you, they're plotting. They're plotting while you're staring and admiring their beautiful face. I watch baby talks. I'm telling you, I know what's going on in their little minds. <laughs> you don't believe me? Step back after we're over. Go look at the nursery. Stand inconspicuously behind that glass and watch Junior over here take a cup away from Susie and watch Susie clobber him. <laughs> We're not good. That's why we need a Savior. Amen? Listen, our natural tendency is to do evil. That's why we need discipline, to help bend our will towards righteousness. Another a mistake we make as parents today in our modern culture is we, we like to bribe our children. Right? Something like this. Now, if you go a whole day without hitting your sister over the head, I'll take you to the store and buy you a present. You know what the lesson is that that child learns? That child learns that, you know what, if I act badly but not too badly, my dad will take me. I can weasel a toy out of him. In the Listen, all of our psychology majors here, that is a classic example of classic conditioning right there. 
bribing them to do something. Listen, it, and, and I know, it becomes, I'm, I'm wrapping this up, it becomes a little more dis- difficult to discipline as our children get older, and we need to accommodate their maturity and their life experience. As they get older, give them more of an opportunity. Give them more freedoms. It, it, you learn how to, ext- you, you set the boundaries when they're young, and then you, set those, you extend the cords thereof as they get older and mature. If they violate it, you rein them back in a little bit. How many of you ever heard your parents say something like this? Well, in this house, that's the way it's going to be. What were they doing? They were drawing the line. They were saying, hey, this is the line. This is it. Don't cross it. And listen, don't expect your child to give up easily. But I promise you this. If discipline is fair and consistent and you show respect to your children. Hey, it's a mutual thing, by the way. If you show respect for your children, one day they'll thank God for a parent like you. They might fight you every step of the way. They might call you names, say, I hate you. You're the meanest parent ever. They might do all of that stuff. But if you remain consistent and focused and fair, one day they'll thank God that they were your son or daughter. It's tough. That's why I'm telling you. It's not for the faint of heart. Live respectably. Give your children to say, give your kids reason to say, my parents are good people, fair people. If you blow it, be willing to sit down with your children and say, you know what? I got upset, and I overreacted, and I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. You can't even imagine the level of respect that your children will experience for you if you admit. Last is this. Guys, come on back. I'm going to wrap this up. Last one is this. Love, just love. Just love. I train them. I love them. Love, now let me do, our children need to know we love them. They need to know that. You need to tell them that you love them. And, and listen, love is not demonstrated by how much you buy for them or what you do for them or allow them to do. That's, that, that's not, let them know. In my 30 years here, I've had more than one teenager, actually several down through the years say, I just wish my parent would tell me they love me. I just wish they'd tell me they love me. Words are powerful. And I know guys, listen to me. Guys, don't leave the affection up to your wife to do to your children. Love your kids. I was, I, I, I was uh, able to watch my granddaughters last, last week and for a couple of days. And uh, Audrey, Audrey's getting on up there, so she kind of self-occupies. She gets busy, and I, I keep picking at her and saying, you're just getting too old for Papa." She says no, but, you know, she gets busy with her other. But little Emmy, now little Emmy's coming into her own, so she loves hanging out with Papa. And so last Friday night, we're kind of getting in the, in the evening, getting ready to kind of wind down, and Audrey's doing her thing, and little Emmy kind of shimmies up to me, and she said, Papa, let's cuddle. I'm like, let's do. <laughs> let's do. <laughs> See, the love that I advocate, I guess, as a parent to a child, is ample amounts of hugs, and if your children's small, Give them cuddle time. Give them cuddle time. If you have boys, wrestle with them. If your back's okay. (laughs) I mean, just just engage them. You know, today, it's so easy to give them a device and say, go off and occupy your time. And I promise you, those devices are preaching to them. Set time aside to cuddle with your children, to love on them. I tell my children I love them. I tell my grandbabies I hug on them. I grab them and hug on them. Again, as they get older, they want to pull away, but I'm stronger right now still, so I'm holding on to them. Because they need to know that they are secure in mom and dad's arms. And that in this crazy world that today, one minute, they're in the popular class, and tomorrow, because they say they love Jesus, they're now uh, uh, the laughingstock of their, of their class. They need to know they can come home to mom and dad and be accepted and loved on and cared for. It's a tough, tough world that our children are growing up in. Parenting, again, everybody has an opinion. They're like trash cans. Everybody has one. But the one that really matters is the book right here. And if you will build on this firm foundation, your family will be blessed. And that, that heritage of the Lord... It will continue for generations, and your blessings will flow from you.
to your children, to your children's children, and to their children, and to their, it will continue to flow. I, I'm, I look back over my life, my grandfather, and I don't know how far back it goes, but my grandfather was one of, he was one of the first AG pastors back in the early 1900s in South Alabama. It skipped my dad's generation, but we still were active part of church all, the, all my life. It picked back up with me. So I think that my, my grandfather, my father, myself, my son and my daughter and my grandchildren, five generations right now, are serving the Lord. Because somebody made a decision years ago that we need to pass on a heritage of faith to the next generation and not leave it to the whims of society. Tenderness and love are appropriately expressed with physical touch. Make sure you hug on your kids and tell them that you love me. I want you to stand with me this morning. Cut me up just a little bit, son. Just, just for a moment. I want to speak to those today before we have altar time. I want to speak to those today that maybe you came to the faith a little bit later on in your life. You say, Pastor, you know what? My children didn't grow up with me serving the Lord. And now because they are not, I didn't serve them in their formative years, they don't really have much, they don't really show much interest in what I'm doing. I, I, I just want to challenge you, don't, don't give up. If you're a parent that has blown it with your children and maybe, maybe you've bought into some of this pop culture stuff where you're, you know, you're, your kids are you know, out of sight, out of mind, better, not, better seen and not heard type thing, and you want to just keep them at arm's length, I, I, I want to challenge you today to draw a line and say, you know what, today, from today on, I'm going to be different. I'm going to be a different father. I'm going to be a different wife or, or mother to my children. I'm going to take proactive approach to parenting. That's my... Dakota never gave a whole lot of resistance. Rebecca did ask her. When she was in high school, we would, our biggest conflict was dating. And I always say, sweetheart, I'm never going to tell you who you can date, but I will tell you who you can't date. She's like, that's the same thing. I said, no, it's not. I wanted to know where she was going. I wanted to know who she was with. I wanted to be able to reach her. I wanted to be able to go by where she was and see that she was where she needed to be. Well, I can't believe you infringe upon her freedoms. She hadn't earned freedom yet. She was still in my house. She still needed mom and dad to teach and train it's tough you will have pushback you'll be ridiculed but stay the course because the salvation of your children is the single most important aspect of being a parent mom dad fight the good fight if you've blown it and you blow it sit down with them and apologize say let's do better if you've been ugly to them, say, you know what? Today I'm a new man. I'm changing. I'm a new woman. I'm changing. We're going to be a different family today, starting today, moving forward. Here's what we'll do. As they sing this song, if you're here today and you, you want to pray for your family, maybe it's your family, maybe it's your, your, your children's family, you say, Pastor, we need some intervention in our family, our extended family. We, we want God to help us. We want to be the godly model that he's called us to be. We want to, we want to learn and grow and show our children the right way. We want them to be saved. As they sing, would you just come and would you just stand here and say, Lord, I'm standing for my family. I'm the Bible says he looked to and fro looking for someone to stand in the gap. Will you be that one that stands in the gap for your family? Will you step up and say, you know what? My children will serve you, Lord. I will stand in the gap. I will fight for my children and my children's children. Go ahead and sing. As they sing, would you come? We're gonna, and as they respond, as the Holy Spirit lays on your heart, come pray with somebody as they respond. I want you to come today.
bring your family down. If you want to bring your family, come stand together as a family. Come on. We want to pray with you this morning. You have been so, so good to me. Before I took a breath, you breathed your life in me. You have been so, so kind to me.
things that they did in ancient times was they spoke blessings over their family. Next Sunday we'll do that with the what teens wish parents knew and what parents wish teens knew. But I want to encourage you to, if it's nothing more than getting into numbers and the Lord bless you and keep you, the song, speak that, sing that over your family. Speak blessings over your children. I know it's a different way of thinking, but they hear enough cursing in their life, in the world. Start speaking. One of the big, one of the big things that I always got criticized for as a parent, you know, everybody's got an opinion about it, right? I was criticized for the way I parent, parented my children. They always said, well, you just think your kids are perfect. And I said, no, I live with them. I know they're not perfect. <laughs> I said, but here's what I choose to do. I choose to call out what I know is in there. I choose to speak what I know they can be, not what they are. You see, that's, I believe, the way God looks at us. He doesn't call me by what I am. He calls me by what I can be. So I want to challenge you to be very careful with your words to your children, especially in the formidable stages of their life. Speak life. Let them know they can do anything. They can climb any mountain. They become, they want to be an astronaut. Tell them they'll be the best astronaut ever. They want to be a doctor. Tell them they can cure, they'll be the ones cure cancer. They want to be president. Tell them we'll all vote for them. They'll, no. <laughs> you understand? Speak to their, speak to them. I tried to be my children's biggest cheerleader. I fell in so many ways, but I tried. One of the things growing up as a kid, and I'll leave, I'm going to leave you this story. One of the kids, as a kid growing up, I played baseball from the time I was about five, six years old all the way through school. I don't ever remember my dad being at a game. He told me he was, but I don't remember him. He was, there was five of us kids. My dad worked. He was a firefighter, had a business on the side, so he was always working. But I never have the memory of my dad being out in the yard pitching with me, throwing the ball, cheering me on. Never, never had that. So I made a decision when we had children that I was going to be there. And at every activity that I could, you know, there were a few things obviously I couldn't help. With my son trying different sports, I was always there. Probably more than he wanted, he wanted me there because I coached from the sidelines. Yeah, I'm one of those dads. <laughs> my daughter was in band. And so every time they played, this is what I was known for in Cleburne at that time. When they would go out on the field to play for halftime, they would introduce the band, Yellow Jacket, Golden Pride, and for a split second, there was a pause, a silence. And I would take that moment to jump up and say, Go, Becca! <laughs> and I would watch her head. <laughs> just hang down <laughs> I had to speak at a conference and they were doing a competition in HEB area and she said dad you're going to make it and I said sweetheart I'm going to do everything I can to make it when it was over when my, my session was over I quit speaking I jumped in my car and I just did the best I could to get there I kid you not I pulled in the parking lot I get into the stadium there and I'm walking in just and, and they've already closed off where I can't go to the bleachers but I'm standing there under that tunnel waiting to get in just when they announce the Golden Pride Band and there was that pause and from the tunnel of that stadium I let out a go Becca afterwards she said dad I didn't think you was going to make it and I said you would have missed me huh and she said yeah I would have be there for your kids cheer them on let them know that you're their biggest fan and I'm telling you, they'll change the world. Thank you for being with us today. Father, I love you so much. Empower these families today. Lord, we can always go with the status quo. But Lord, today we choose to be different. We choose to parent by design. 
So, Lord, I pray that today we make that determination that nothing else is more important in this world outside of our relationship with you than our children. And that their salvation is the most important aspect of our parenting assignment. So, Father, help us to be diligent in teaching and training our children. Help us to be faithful models of what it means to be a godly man, a godly woman. Help us to not just tell them, but show them and invite them to follow us in that discipleship process. Lord, may we be faithful so that they will be faithful. And Lord, every day may we use life as an opportunity to teach your principles and your ways. May they fall in love with you. That's our prayer. May our children and our grandchildren fall in love with you because of who we are. I ask you to go with us now. Heal every broken heart, every broken home. Restore, begin to build upon that foundation. Go with us today. Give us a wonderful day, I pray in Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you very much.
Lord, turn.